Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness, morning. Christ Church Kingwood is a Christ-centered church that seeks to proclaim the gospel in both word and deed by glorifying God and making disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us now as we worship together in the ministry of the word. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Good morning, Christ Church Kingwood. Hey, that was pretty good. Um, for those that have been with us the last few weeks, uh, our, our uh, scripture this morning will be a familiar one. Maybe one that is as frontlets between your eyes, but we are in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is the word of the Lord. All right, let's pray together. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Father God, it is an honor to be called sons and daughters, to be grafted into your eternal family, to have your spirit poured out into our hearts as a seal and a guarantee of all that you have promised to us. Father God, make us a grateful people, people who love to worship you and long to reflect the love that we have experienced to those around us, building up your church through your spirit and for your glory. Amen. All right, good morning. Everybody good? You still full? Yeah? Keep Hearing people this morning like, oh, I feel so sick. So good job. You were good Americans this weekend. Uh, Thanksgiving. Thankful for all of it, obviously. Um, so we're wrapping up this series on family discipleship this morning. This will be the conclusion. But even though we are ending our time here in Deuteronomy 6, my hope is that this will really just kind of be the beginning of the conversation. Like there's been so much good feedback of how challenging the word is for us as parents and us as just believers. The call to disciple uh, is convicting and it's encouraging. So my hope is that this is the beginning and we continue to, to talk through this in small groups and with friends because what God has called us to here in Deuteronomy, not just as parents, but what God calls us to as believers is huge. It's all-consuming. 
We are to love God with all our heart and all our soul and all our might. And as we grow in this, as we grow to love God more and more, it's going to transform the way that we spend our time and the way that we work, the things we think about, the way we engage others, including our families. This is the foundation of discipleship. So you may not have biological children or may not have kids living in your home, but if you love God with all your heart and soul and strength, if you press into the call of God on your life in this text, you will see that there are disciple-making opportunities everywhere, all around you. There are kids and adults. There are older parents and younger parents who need someone to come alongside them and encourage them in the gospel to pray with them and for them and to keep the truth of God continually before their eyes. There is no shortage when it comes to the need for discipleship, just a shortage of laborers. As Jesus said in Mark 9, 37, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And as we discussed, the, the greatest gift that we can pass on to anyone is to model a life laid down for the glory of God. To model a life that loves God with all our heart and soul and might. And then we talked about time. Being intentional with our time as we weave the things of God into the rhythms of our daily lives. And then last week we talked about moments. Because life is not one grand event after the other, but a string of tiny moments, little opportunities to speak truth into the lives of our children and our friends and strangers. And when we continually point our children to the truth of God, when the attributes of God and the character of God become the language and the undergirding of our home, we are establishing them on the foundation of Christ. And if you missed last week, there's a packet in the back. It's a really great resource for engaging your kids and engaging yourself, your own hearts, it has the five foundational truths that we discussed. It has the list of the attributes of God and then some verses just to address various struggles like anxiety or fear or anger. I'd encourage you to pick up one of those and just start reading through this for yourself. Read through it in your small group or with your friends and obviously with your kids and memorize these five simple truths. Talk about the attributes of God with your family. Because if this idea of discipleship is daunting to you, if this is new territory, this is a super accessible and easy way to begin the journey. And it will bear fruit in your family. And if you want a digital copy, we sent those out in the newsletter. They're on the website. You can find it. And if not, just ask Carrie because Carrie knows where everything is. So we've talked about modeling, we've talked about time, we've talked about moments, and today we're gonna close things out by talking about milestones. And we're still soaking here in verses seven and eight of Deuteronomy six. It says, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. 
You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. So we want to be so consumed with a love for God that we are continually speaking the truth of God and modeling a life of faithfulness to those around us. And we do this by being intentional in the way we spend our time. We do this by being spiritually observant, as we talked about last week, by prayerfully and consistently looking for ways to speak gospel truth into the lives of our kids and our friends and our coworkers. And while I said last week that the majority of our discipleship takes place in these mundane, unfantastic moments of daily life, there are still spiritual milestones in our lives that we want to celebrate. We want to recognize They are these bigger moments that we want to mark and remember, as well as goals that we want to set out in front of our kids. These are milestones. They're like waypoints on a map, or if you're not an outdoorsy type person, it's like when you drop a pin on Google Maps. Same idea. We want to mark and remember certain points along the way to remember these significant events and things that God has done. And we also want to put some markers out in the future to set goals and expectations to guide the trajectory of their lives, to define what maturity in Christ or just maturity in general looks like. So we're going to talk about marking and molding. Marking milestones they reach and molding them for future milestones, future goals. Because God created us to be a people who remember. We are a storytelling people, right? You just got together for Thanksgiving. And I'm sure at some point somebody said, hey, do you remember when? And before one person gets done... The next person chimes in with the real version of the story or the next chapter of the story. And the older you get, the more fantastic and the less factual those stories become. One touchdown in the big game, it's now two. And then four. Because there is this phenomenon when we get older, we used to be better athletes than we really were. I don't know how God does that, but it's amazing. We are a storytelling people. It's part of how God made us. Yet, one of the evidences that all is not well with our hearts is that we are prone to forget. We are a forgetful people. And I'm not talking about forgetting your keys, but forgetting God. Throughout Scripture and history, the people of God are continually forgetting who He is, forgetting how good God has been to them. This, this, there's this familiar cycle where we proclaim God will deliver, he will save, he will make a way, he will build up and enable and empower us to flourish. And then a storm hits. And then a low point comes. We lose a loved one or face some sort of struggle and all of a sudden we feel like God has abandoned us. He's betrayed us. See, we're prone to forget the goodness of God. So when we talk about marking, we're talking about building things into our lives that enable us to remember. 
And this is thoroughly biblical. God does this throughout Scripture. God knew that his people were a forgetful people, so he would continually mark these milestones in their lives to remind them of who he is, of what he has done, of what he has promised to them. In Exodus chapter 5, 12, Exodus 12, one of those, you know, we see God doing this, this marking He's just gotten done describing exactly what the Israelites are to do in preparation for the Passover with the festival of unleavened bread and the Passover meal. And then he says in verse 24, you shall observe this rite, that is the Passover meal, as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say it is a sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the house of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck down the Egyptians, but spared our house. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. And then later in Joshua chapter 4, when the people of Israel crossed the Jordan River, To enter into the promised land, God commands a man from each of the 12 tribes to take a stone and build this altar on the other side of the Jordan as an act of remembrance so that they and those who come after them might remember what God had done. I mean, this is why we take communion every Sunday. We know that that's not normal for a lot of churches. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, this scripture that we read every Sunday before communion, Jesus says, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then in verse 25, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. You see what Jesus is doing here, right? He wants to anchor us to himself, anchor us to his saving work, to build us up in him so that when struggles come, when storms build, we remember him. And just as God instructed the Israelites to do throughout the Old Testament, we can remember the goodness of God in our own lives by recognizing and remembering milestones that point us back to him. This is what marking is all about. And so for our kids, we're we're looking for these moments in their lives that are more significant than the everyday smaller things that we talked about last week. We want to highlight, we want to remember these things. Like obvious one, when your child is baptized, that's a pretty big milestone. And just last Sunday, actually, Caleb Walker asked Jesus into his heart in this very room. Yeah, amen. We are going to celebrate that as a community with their family. We're going to commemorate that. And I know there will be more people being baptized at the same time. Or when you get your kid their first Bible or they take communion for the first time. These are spiritually significant moments in their lives. We want to mark those kinds of things. We want to highlight those moments so they remember all that God did to get them to that point. 
So we're looking at a way to commemorate and remember these milestones. And it doesn't have to be complex or extravagant. It can be dinner out with mom and dad with some intentional conversation. It can be gathering with some family and friends. Or you can just send them a handwritten note. And that's old school, right? I get it. We don't even use email anymore. But you can write them a note. They may have never actually seen one before, like a handwritten letter. But you can do that. And the beautiful thing about handwritten letters is that long after mom and dad are gone, your 40 or 50 or 60-year-old son or daughter can pull that letter out and remember. And it's not remembering some distant memory or gift or meal you shared, but the very words that you said, what you loved about them, what you saw God doing in them, even at that young age. And actually, you can send letters to anyone, not just kids. You can encourage anyone with a handwritten letter. So discipleship works even with adults. Encouragement is always good. And when it comes to parenting, like we're in the parenting game with you. But our kids are just a lot less young than they used to be. It's super weird how that happens. It seems like yesterday we were helping Sage to understand that the triangle block does not go in the square hole on that weird toy that is in like every church nursery on the planet, right? Nobody know, nobody's ever bought one. They're just there. Now she drives herself to Starbucks. It's weird. She is knocking on the door of actually being a full-fledged adult. It's just crazy. But your kids never stop being your kids, right? I'm 44 years old and my dad still asks if I go to the dentist. And the answer is still no. I don't. But the point is, our call to disciple our family doesn't stop when our kids move out. It just changes. They have a lot more freedom. They're going to make their own choices and some of them are going to be really bad. But our primary role as parents is still to model faithfulness and to remind them of all that God has done. So we're marking these moments, almost like a rite of passage. When they hit double digits, that's super cool to a kid. When they become a teen, or for us, we have an 18-year-old next year. And as they grow and we mark these milestones in their lives, two things come with it. Added responsibility, and if, for our soon-to-be 18-year-old, all goes well, added freedom. It's a win. Just three days ago, to my dislike, we marked a big milestone in our household with our older girls on the subject of dating. Every dad's worst nightmare. Watch it. But we laid out some parameters, some rules. We offered some freedom with the option of more freedom in the future if they follow our guidelines and show that they are trustworthy. And we also laid out some consequences if they don't. You should ask them about those. 
But those consequences will definitely include less freedom. And we obviously don't have all this figured out, but when Sage does turn 18, we're going to mark that. That's huge. We're going to gather together some stones and mark out what God has done. We want to celebrate God's goodness in her life. So that's what we mean by milestones. It's just setting out these markers, setting them down in a way that the mind is informed and the heart is stirred for God, creating a moment bathed in the truth of God that they can look back and remember. That's marking. And then I also want to talk about molding. So marking is looking back. It is remembering. Molding is looking ahead. It's giving them something to aim for, goals, expectations, like along this path of life. And to go back to our analogy about waypoints on a map, if you walk into the wilderness without any idea of where you're trying to get or any checkpoints along the way, you are going to wander aimlessly. I can assure you I have done it. You're going to wander aimlessly. So we want to look out ahead of them and lay down some milestones along this journey. We want to shape their expectations for their life. And it's stuff that we're already doing. In its simplest form, every time you tell your son to hold the door for your sister, you're you're molding them. You're saying, this is how you respect women. You're giving them something to strive for, something to grow into and to move toward. And so, as parents... We want to move our children toward adulthood, toward biblical manhood and womanhood, towards spiritual maturity and faith. And I know it's like, it seems like common sense, but when you look around at our culture, common sense is no longer that common. It's just not. Sociologists, they use these five standard milestones to measure adult status. It's kind of silly. They're sociological, not theological. But the Bible has a lot to say about things like this. There are things like completing school, leaving home, establishing financial independence. Now, obviously, it's an imperfect tool. We can't sum up adulthood with things like this. But in the study, it was interesting, it showed back in 1960, the vast majority of young adults reached these milestones by the age of 30. That was in the 60s. In the year 2000, less less than half of women and only a third of men had reached those same milestones by the age of 30. Frightening, right? So sociologically speaking, only a third of men and half of women were considered to be adults at the age of 30. And that was 23 years ago. And I don't think that things have gotten any better, right? Devolving. And the point is not to make this like your new personal evaluation tool of adulthood, but rather to see that in our culture as a whole, there's an ever-expanding period of adolescence. Kids are getting older, but they're not growing up. 
And culturally, they aren't even expected to. And if you don't like that study, you can kind of throw it out because there was a more recent study that said uh, millennials indicated that they don't even consider themselves to be an adult until after 30. And that's not a kid problem, right? That's not their issue. That's a parent fail. Lots of parents. Your 28, if, you're, if your 28-year-old does not think that they are an adult, something has gone wrong in your household. Seriously. All of those dangers we talked about in the weeks before, misplaced loves, non-present presence, lack of intentionality. I get excited and I can't talk. They've distorted what it means to be parents. So it's become abnormal in our culture for parents to say, this is what it means to grow up. And we're going to walk with you and disciple you and move you towards adulthood, towards maturity. This direct, intentional, Christ-centered engagement in our children's lives that we've been talking about, that I know you are all engaged in, like, it's not normal. It's just not. Instead, the norm is somewhere between, like, total relational disconnect between kids and parents where the, the kids essentially have a, a live-in digital babysitter named Alexa, right? We've met her. Or the other dysfunctional extreme, which is relational in a way, but it's almost as if the parents are saying to their kids, you make us matter. You give us purpose. Stay in the house as long as you want. We're going to take care of everything. We're not going to make you fight your own fights or own your own mistakes. We want to make your life happy and easy and comfortable. And we see plenty of that in the suburbs, right? And so we get parents swinging punches at their seven-year-old's baseball game when their kid gets benched or the ump makes a bad call, right? It's on the news all the time. But those parents are not defending their children. They're defending their own value as human beings because their identity as a parent is wrapped up in their kids' performance. They matter because their kids matter, and that's not healthy. And we have 30-year-old boys playing Call of Duty on their parents' couch, unwilling to commit to anything or to grow into what God has called them to be. Not healthy. We want more than this for our children. Our role as parents and as mature members of the household of God is to do the work of molding, to describe and model what life is supposed to be. And in a loving, relational, Christ-saturated way to move them in that direction. So the fact that you make your kids uh, make their bed in the morning, right? That is not because the house is going to implode if they don't, right? That, that just is not going to. The reason we're serious about working hard in school is not because being smarter means you get a better job, which means you get more money, which means you're going to be happy. I don't believe that at all. 
I know a lot of people do, but I, I think those people are pretty foolish. We want them to work hard. We want them to be responsible and disciplined. We want them to serve one another because this is what God has called us to. He's called us to that. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive your inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. You're serving Jesus. Hard work and discipline shape their character. And these things are required no matter what they end up doing with their lives. And we want to instill this in them because our job is to get them ready for adulthood, to teach and disciple and mold them, and then send them out into the world. Get them out of your house. Not to nurse them until they're 40 or to have some dysfunctional symbiotic relationship where our value is wrapped up in their success. We want to love them, disciple them, equip them, hold firm to the expectations we have for their growth, loving them as they fail, understanding the grace of God on their lives like we understand it on our own but expecting much of them, even as we are speaking life into them. And the beauty of marking these milestones in your kids' lives is that when we celebrate Sage's 18th birthday, like this movement from kid to adult, kind of, as we put this stake in the ground and say, this is an important moment in your life, your responsibility and freedom are going to increase, what we're doing at the exact same time is molding expectations for Meadow and Reed and Iris. What they're going to hear and see is, here's what happens when you turn 18. Here's what you get. Increased responsibility, and if all goes well, increased freedom. And that sounds awesome. They want that. And so while we're marking this moment for Sage's life, we're molding for the others. We're putting down these waypoints on the map of their life that they want to move towards. And so they get excited about these moments, these big moments, not just because there's a party, but because it's a milestone in their life. It's marking out a transition. Things are changing. And even the youth group here serves as a marker now. Iris got to watch all of her older siblings go every Sunday to youth, and she was so excited to be a part. And in the weeks leading up to Iris's first youth group, she probably talked about it a thousand times a day. A day. And now she's a youth. And when she made that move into this new class, she realized that the teachers talk differently to them than they did in elementary school. They expect more of them now. And she's going to see how the older girls interact with one another and with the word of God and with the teacher, which is super awesome and really scary. Like older girls, older guys, like you are modeling faithfulness to these younger kids. 
Sometimes not so well, but same for us. Sometimes we're not nailing it, but we are discipling them. You are discipling these younger kids. As I said a few weeks back, we can't save our kids. We don't have the power to save anyone, but our children are blessed beyond measure to be growing up in a believing home as part of a believing community. There is a particular grace over their lives that so many children don't get. They just don't have it. And my prayer is that we don't take that for granted, that God, in the abundance of his mercy, saved us. Not because of anything we ever did or ever will do, but by grace through faith, we have been brought from death to life. And we are now ambassadors of Christ in God's eternal plan of redemption that was set forth before the foundation of the world. We've been sent out into this world to make disciples of all nations, to proclaim the glory of God and the salvation that has been offered through faith in Jesus Christ, beginning in our homes and spreading to the ends of the earth. And all of this begins with loving God. It begins with loving God with all our heart and all our soul and all our might. And if we do this, if we continue to grow in this, I am confident that we will see God do amazing things in our midst. I'm confident that our families in this church will shine with the glory of Christ in this world. And people will see the way that we love and long to know the hope that we have. They will long to know the God that we serve. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for the abundant grace that you have showed this community. Thank you for uniting a people that love so well, that seek to honor you with their lives. And so, God, we ask that you would continue to increase our faith, to increase our faithfulness, to equip us by your spirit for the work of discipleship. And we ask that you would make us first and foremost the lead worshipers in our homes for your glory and for our joy. Amen. Praise God Thank you for worshiping with us through the preaching of God's Word. We exist to glorify God by making disciples. We would love to have you join us in person as we gather together on Sundays at 10 a.m. at the Covenant Preparatory School on Hamlin Road in Kingwood, Texas. To learn more about Christ Church Kingwood, visit our website at ChristChurchKingwood.org.